0: Hi again, everybody, Stuart Gandalf with Healthcare Success. We have another podcast today and about Shizmid coming up for 2018. Uh, it's become an annual tradition for us and our readers and listeners. So today, we're going to be talking with James Robertson.
1: Uh, good to talk to you.
0: Uh, good to meet you here.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm Director of Business Development at Littleton Adventist Hospital.
0: James, your topic at, the, uh, at Chismet is going to be optimizing your primary care footprint. And we talked a little bit offline before we got started here. I would like to get a sense of, from your standpoint, first of all, tell us a little bit about your hospital, your role there, and you know, kind of the objectives of your job. And then we'll talk more about the Chismet talk in just a moment.
1: Yeah, sure. So, Littleton Adventist Hospital is in South Denver. It's a medium-sized hospital, uh, has about 220 usable beds. We run an average daily census around 140. uh, And we serve a patient population in South Denver of about half a million, 550,000. It's an integrated network. So, we have a, a hospital, obviously, at the hub, but then we also have ambulatory services. And when you look at my role, I'm director of business development for the hospital. I've been doing it for about two years. And my primary responsibility is just growth and driving a strong uh, EBITDA for our uh, hospital.
0: Tell us about your talk at Shizman. You're going to be talking about, again, optimizing your primary care footprint. Tell me about what that's going to be about.
1: One of the strategies we've identified as a hospital, as a healthcare organization, is growing our primary care (laughs) footprint. We think that's critical to uh, caring for our population and creating an integrated network that will ultimately keep our patients healthier, but also um, support specialized services and the services we provide in the hospital. You know, we look at a variety of different methods to grow our primary care footprint. You know, we employ physicians, and my seminar is mostly focused on growth through employment. And you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can grow organically so you can recruit new physicians from out of the market. You can start new clinics, or you can um, acquire. You can do it transactionally. And we employ both methods to try and uh, grow our primary care footprint. And what ends up happening when you do that is you might get a situation where uh, you have an established clinic uh, and another clinic that has a good reputation, has a strong patient panel, has a group of physicians that is... uh, highly reputable in your market, might approach you and say, hey, we're interested in employment. And if that ends up working out, you could have a clinic right next door to one of your existing clinics where they are serving the same patient population, they are competing for uh, for growth, and they are not optimizing the footprint of your primary care practice. And so what my seminar tries to focus on is how can we look at a scenario like this and use quantitative information that is available to us to try to make decisions about how we uh, move forward from that scenario to optimize our geographic footprint, to eliminate those inefficiencies, and to grow the reach of our network.
0: When you're looking at uh, the service area for your hospital and your surrounding sort of geographic footprint. I'm assuming at some point it's too far from the hospital. It no longer makes sense. Have you guys identified sort of areas of growth that you're looking at for the coming years and to sort of get to a certain stage of maturity here and then grow within that? Or how does that work?
1: It's kind of a combination of both. And when we look at and define our primary service areas, I think we do it the way most other organizations do it, which is look at the uh, the zip codes that 70 to 80% of our inpatient admissions come from. And then we draw the radius around the hospital utilizing, uh, you know, that information. So, you know, in terms of our hospital and our primary service area, that's how we define that. And when we're talking about our primary care footprint, is it is within that radius that we're trying to maximize coverage, but also uh, reduce or minimize the, the overlap of those coverages.
0: In terms of branding, you mentioned earlier an existing group and a new group. Uh, And then, of course, you have your largest system. When you acquire a a large group, do you rebrand it as part of your hospital, or how does that work? Do they all have individual names? Do you transition them over time? How does that whole process work?
1: You know, that kind of depends, Stuart, and that's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. I usually hand those discussions and decisions over to our marketing experts, but what we've seen in the past is kind of a a combination of both with the movement towards uh, standardized branding recently. Got it. That makes a lot of sense.
0: You're in this phase of acquiring. Once you've acquired them, are you also involved in the transitional side of it, or is it mostly in the acquiring stage?
1: Mostly in the tr- uh, in the transactional stage, not the transitional stage. We have uh, a great again. It's a you know a large organization, so we're we're able to sure. specialize in areas. We have a you know really excellent transitional team that usually steps in at that point and takes over to make sure that the transition is seamless.
0: So when you're looking at a group, obviously economics have to make sense. I guess this is a two part question. You must have sort of a um, opportunity filter where you figure which kinds of things might be a fit and which wouldn't. And then also you mentioned it sounds like you're passively being approached versus going after groups. Can you tell us about both of those issues in terms of finding the ideal fits and helping your growth in terms of the acquisitional side?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with the second question first, which is, it's a combination of both. We have groups approaching us, you know, regularly saying they're interested in and in learning a little bit more about what it might mean to be employed by our employed group. And then we also have groups that, you know, have strong reputations, have good uh, good quality metrics, um, we know are busy, that have worked well with us in the past, that we uh, start those conversations with um, you know, where we're leading the discussion. So it's really really a combination of both. And what we look for uh, whenever we're trying to determine the physician groups that we want to uh, bring into the family, so to speak, our, you know, reputation is key and uh, healthcare is a small world and it's pretty well known the the physicians that, you know, have the stronger reputations in the market. We're also looking for physician leaders, that's such a key skill set uh, in, in today's environment and healthcare environment. We really do need to be physician-based and we need to have physicians involved in, in what we're doing as an organization. So. As we have these discussions, we really look for those key characteristics to bring into our organization. And then, you know, the last component is geographic location and uh, size and and just kind of how it fits overall into our strategic plan in terms of growth for the organization.
0: It sounds like you're also creating new locations. And so tell us about when that makes sense and sort of the key factors that you look at there.
1: Maybe I can take a step back and talk a little bit about, and set the stage a little bit before some of the assumptions we're working uh, on and how we arrive at those assumptions, because that will be a part of what I'm talking about in the seminar. Uh, One of the questions you'll hear often whenever we're talking about clinics and primary care providers is, do... Do patients tend to go to primary care providers close to where they live? Do they tend to go to primary care providers close to where they work? Is it a combination of both? Is there a way that we can answer that question? Because if you're able to answer that question, it kind of educates where you where you look at locations, right? So some of the work we did to start all of this off was we figured out that, you know, we have these electronic health records, which are have a vast amount of information on our patients. And... One of those fields that we collect is the home address of the patient, and since we have a relatively large employed provider group already, uh, we were able to utilize some of the GIS software, so the the mapping software that's out there that's very sophisticated, to look back over you know a period of time. I think we did it for 24 months where we pulled all the patients that had visited an individual primary care provider um, over the past 24 months. And we did this for several of our providers. We did it for several several of our clinics. We did it for clinics that were located in rural areas. We did it for clinics that were located in commercial areas. And what you're able to do whenever you pull that information is you're able to create a, a heat map. So imagine a map that has the clinic at the center, and then from that clinic you have individual red dots for each of the patients that has visited that particular clinic uh, over the past 24 months. Once you have that information, the machine that you're using can run a calculation for each of those individual dots, how much tr- time it takes for them to drive from their home loc- address to the clinic, and it can create a, uh, a mapping, an idea, I'll give you an idea of a, the average travel time for a bulk of your patients to come to that clinic. And, and so we did that work on a number of our different uh, clinics, and you know, for thousands and thousands of patients, and what we found is that our patients tend to uh, congregate around, they tend to live by their primary care provider, and, and it's close. You know, 50% of the patients live within 10 minutes of their primary care provider. And when you look at the difference between the rural, uh, the rural locations, the ones that are in neighborhoods versus the ones that are in commercial areas, you don't see that much of a difference. Uh, you know, you might see that average go up from 10 to, you know, 12 to 13 minutes. And, uh, and so you can draw the assumption from that, that when we're doing our geographic analysis, when we're trying to figure out what kind of a population a, a clinic location is gonna serve, you can pretty much draw a circle around that, that, you know, has an average of 15 minutes and pretty well understand the reach of that clinic Where the patients are going to be coming from, and a lot of the different characteristics of the patients in that that circle. So with that in mind, um, that is really how we built up this work and began to look at a map and figure out where the optimal places to locate our clinics were. And I believe your question was, how do you figure out if you want to do a new clinic versus how do you uh, build upon an existing clinic? That decision begins by understanding the circles on the map, and uh, really laying out, you know, a, a short-term plan and a long-term plan for where you want your circles to be on the map, and and where you anticipate that uh, growth to be.
0: Tell me, when the stakes are high, these are big investments, right? People, long-term leases, lots of doctors, lots of salaries. It's a big deal. You want to get this right. It's worth uh, some time and some energy. Some investment. When we were talking prior to the conference call, you mentioned a number of tools to help people quantify, and I'd love to get sort of a list of um, you know specific tools and not just tools, but you know data that's publicly available to help our audience get a head start on where they would go if they were looking at doing this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, great question. The electronic health records are a great source of information, um, and you know really that's where it all starts. Understanding low geographic information related to your clinics is, is a great way to build primary assumptions for your map. Um, there's also a whole lot of other information out there. You know, you've got all your demographic information that's available through companies like SG2 or Truven Health Analytics, or, you know, there's, there are hundreds of them that I, I could probably uh, name uh, for demographic data. Uh, you have market share information. So, a lot of the states that you work in have collection of inpatient admissions that is used by healthcare organizations to better understand uh, kind of what percentage of the market they have for admissions coming from certain areas and most of that has geographic information in it you can layer that into your analysis if you're looking to grow market share in an area where maybe you don't have strong market share for your hospital Uh, That's a component that you want to build in. Um, You have traffic data. Some of the bigger cities, uh, Denver being one of them, have uh, traffic counts, uh, information that they share publicly. So you can look at the major roads. And when you're thinking about things like visibility for a primary care clinic uh, from a marketing perspective, you can go to those sites, which are publicly available, and uh, pull information on traffic counts, how many cars are driving by on a daily basis. You have permitting data. A lot of the uh, municipalities that uh, do permitting for new housing starts, um, new neighborhoods, et cetera, will put that information out there. And so that's an important piece of data to have because that might not always show up in the demographic projections that you're pulling from the more generic sources. And then the GIS information is also very helpful, you know, so being able to pull the coordinates of locations and use that to do some complex um aggregation to understand the tendencies of your population is is super important. And I'm sure that there are many, many other uh, sources of data out there. It's actually one of the pieces that I'm hoping to gather from uh, the people that participate in my seminars. What else are you guys using? When you
0: said uh, GIS, any specifics? You mentioned, I think, earlier a software package. that was really good. Any one in particular that you recommend?
1: Yeah, the one we're using is ESRI or ESRI, which I think is pretty – uh, pretty common out there. One of the other ones that we've looked at that I think has most of those capabilities is a program called Maptitude.
0: I've got a couple more questions, but anything else from the Schisman talk that you think is really important that we covered?
1: Mostly that there's no perfect answer. You know, whenever you pull information like this, people tend to question the data. But what I always like to go back to is that some information is almost always better than no information. And so what we're trying to do here isn't necessarily give the exact correct answer, but to figure out which answers are better than others.
0: Going back to the the new practices, how much are you working with your marketing department? So you have a new office, you need to get patients. Are they heavily engaged in the early discussions, figuring out what the marketing strategy would be, or is that all later?
1: The earlier you can involve the marketing department, the better. They have unique insights, they have unique capabilities that can educate the decision that you're making. From our perspective, yeah, they're, they're involved early in the process. They might not, you know, sit down at the table when you're negotiating a contract or anything like that. But the, from the very beginning, they're thinking about, you know, growth tactics and, and how they want to the message and brand, you know, a new clinic, uh, what direction we want to head as an organization. And so I would say the earlier, the better to involve the marketing department in these types of decisions.
0: One question that's interesting, and I don't know if you'll be able to respond to this or not. Some states have corporate practice of medicine doctrine, we call it in California, where you can't directly employ doctors. That said, there's oftentimes those are different organizational ways of doing it, where even though the, the doctors are technically not captive to the hospital, they work very closely. Do you have any insights into how you think the strategy would change if you were located in a state like that? Or would it be exactly the same thing?
1: My previous role, I worked in an organization that had facilities down in California, so I'm relatively familiar with corporate practice and medicine and usually the model that's employed and California is a foundation model where it's separately owned organization, the physicians are part of the foundation, the foundation works with the health system. And, you know, honestly, I don't think the strategy changes. I think that the executor changes a little bit. So it's the foundation that's really having to think about how to distribute their clinics, how to size their clinics so that they are reaching the optimal number of patients for the, these facilities that they're building. So really, I don't think it changes regardless of, you know, corporate practice, medicine, employed physician, private physician network, or whatever.
0: Well, that was a terrific interview. Very insightful. Lots of great ideas here. Thank you very much, James. It was fantastic. I appreciate your time today.
1: Well, Stuart, thanks for the invitation.